0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises off. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel. And this is Hello Monday, our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. Big city living has always been a test of endurance. Unless you're fabulously wealthy, you're likely living in a small space, close enough to your neighbors to hear them through the walls. But at least for me, the trade-offs have been worth it. Access to culture, jobs, professional opportunities, and so many cool people. In the blink of an eye, COVID's changed all of that. As we've all quarantined, many of us city dwellers have felt the walls close in around us. And we've learned that much of our work can be done virtually, much more than we thought. And with so much time at home, we're left to wonder, is this really what I want for my life? I live in Brooklyn. Many people I know are moving. They're looking for space, nature, ease. Sometimes they don't even know exactly what they're looking for and I confess, to occasionally having an escape fantasy myself. So this episode, I'm talking to three people about leaving. My first guest is Tyrone Fripp. Tyrone's the kind of New Yorker who grew up in Manhattan. But the quarantine's been hard.
1: It just started to really get to me, the feeling of isolation, the feeling of claustrophobia, the... The feeling that at my stage in life, I'm living in a way that doesn't really facilitate being able to accommodate an emergency situation.
0: Tyrone works in HR, and he mentioned this to a colleague.
1: We were on the phone talking with our head of HR about how we're all doing. And I had to confess that I I said, you know, I'm not doing great. I'm, I'm feeling really depressed. I'm feeling really trapped. And we got off the phone and she called me up and she said, well, I'm going on vacation. Do you want my house for two weeks? And I said, hell yeah.
0: The break was so restorative that Tyrone went looking for a home of his own. He chose Litchfield, Connecticut. Now, Litchfield's a rural town with a meandering river and a state park. It's sleepy and green, which is the point. Tyrone bought a townhouse there that's under construction. He plans to move this fall.
1: It's almost 3,000 square feet. Oh, I don't uh, even
0: know what you would do with that much space.
1: Uh, well, I think that I'm going to probably for the first couple of days just run around naked inside <laughs> of it, <laughs> saying, "Oh my God, I have almost three thousand square feet." But but it is a townhouse. It's um, it's a development, so there are other people around. I, I wasn't quite ready to live on in a in a situation where I don't see other people. I wanted to live someplace where I, there was somewhat of a community. There's a clubhouse, and there's a, a pool, community pool. And um, it's a little bit outside of the downtown, but I can drive to the downtown. I'm gonna buy a car and be an adult.
0: Well, Tyrone, you live in New York. As I remember, you've been here your entire life. It wasn't like you moved in for college and you were like, this place is pretty good, I'm staying.
1: Right, right. So yes, I thought about that. And as I mentioned before, I've been actually thinking about this for a while. I will always be a New Yorker, but quite frankly, the New York that I grew up in doesn't exist anymore. And the thing about being a true New Yorker is New York is part of who I am. And I will take that with me no matter where I go. One of the things that I plan to do is visit often. Obviously, my mom still lives here. My entire family still lives here. I will never not come to New York. What I wanted to do was reframe what New York feels like to me. Because now that I live here and it's become a playground for the rich, and it's become very much more homogeneous than it used to be. I find myself really feeling like I need to get out of here.
0: Yeah, I totally hear that. Wh- what do you imagine that your work life is going to
1: be like? What I've learned in the pandemic and being in quarantine is I've just had to figure out a way to to, to stop, to put brakes in. And, and to actually go outside, what this has done for me is it's it's made me see that I actually have to take responsibility for having the balance because no one's going to ensure that for me. So the good thing is now that my company is West Coast based, that means I can start a little bit later. So that means I can get up earlier and go out for a bike ride or work out with a trainer or get some kind of physical activity Either on my deck or in my exercise room, in my basement or something, and then start work. And so again, it's forcing me to be more deliberate, which is which is not a, which is not a bad thing because I think if you don't have that kind of built-in guardrails, it can just work and just bleed into everything you do, and, and there's no separation.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Um, as you chose Litchfield, how did the fact that you're a person of color and gay factor into it? Mm-hmm.
1: So the thing about Litchfield is that they do have a gay community. It is a weekend. It's a weekend slash permanent uh, community. So there's a lot of weekenders from the New York area. I do have a friend whose brother and 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 husband live there with their with their uh, new baby, and so there is some gay community there. There's not a there's not a huge person of color community there, but I live in a world where I'm. Used to being the only person of color, my feeling is someone has to be the first. And uh, and trust me, Litchfield's going to get a, a view of my family coming up there. <laughs> and and maybe they'll realize, you know what, those people aren't that scary. And maybe other people of color will realize, you know what, those white people aren't that scary. So we're gonna we're gonna blaze some trails.
0: You know, I th- I think about like one thing about the pandemic is that it forced immediate change overnight as i as i think about people who are making these radical moves is there anything that you've learned about yourself through the pandemic that positions you to know that this kind of change even though radical is the right one
1: yeah so resiliency is something that i've always thought of myself as having but it's been tested and tested like never before and so I decided that remember everyone came into 2020 being really excited everyone's 2020 vision and all this other stuff and 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 none of us could see this coming with all of our 2020 vision and so I think that what it's taught me is I could either allow life to happen to me because it is happening and do nothing and be upset or be afraid or be frustrated. Or I could look at this as an opportunity, a relatively low risk opportunity, because if you think about it, so much has been taken away from all of us and, and we've had to bounce back. We've had to figure out a way to make this our new normal. So I figured what, is, what better time now when the stakes are so low, honestly? I've got nothing to lose i've gone through emotional <laughs> physical trials i've got nothing to lose now's the time to do it
0: that was tyrone fripp thanks tyrone we're wishing you luck so how does a move like that turn out what happens when you leave the city somewhat suddenly for a country life our next guest has some advice in 2016 rebecca Shear was a reporter and a host for wamu and npr her husband, Eric, was a theater composer. they just had a baby and they'd purchased a home in Washington, DC. But then Donald Trump was elected and they just didn't wanna stick around. They needed a change. And so they made one, fast. Within a month, they left their newly purchased home for a rental in the Berkshires. Tell me about the actual move.
2: So you, you, you moved to a rental first, you literally just left your house. We knew we would eventually sell it. Um, But we planned on being there a long time. There were all of these renovations to do and we had to redo the kitchen and we had to, the backyard wasn't, I say backyard, it's the size of, I don't know, our current bathroom, this cute little Capitol Hill backyard. We were going to redo the backyard and make it more uh, play-friendly for the child that we we were raising. We thought we would do that over a period of years. When we up and left... We left the house behind that needed a ton of work before it got sold, which was what we were ultimately going to have to do. So about a month in, Eric went back to Washington, D.C. Eric fixed up the house. He took a couple of weeks, did all the renovations necessary, and long distance, we put it on the market, and it sold. By D.C. standards, it was a slow sale. It took two weeks. Whoa. (laughs) That's slow in Washington. (laughs) But it sold. And then we ended up buying the rental that we had here in the Berkshires, and that's where I am right now. It's beautiful.
0: Over your shoulder, I can see green leaves that suggest a proximity of outdoors that I have no reference point for right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We are we are tucked in the woods. Our property abuts 80 acres of protected mountain and wetlands that our neighbors up the road have given us full permission to explore, and our son every day makes use of that permission, frolicking in nature.
0: Um, even so. To move in the wintertime with a small (laughs) child on uh, less than a month's notice to a place where you haven't lived in the winter, at least,
2: what was that like? Truth, I immediately regretted it. It was the middle of winter. Eric went back to fix up the house in D.C., and I am alone with a child. I haven't really driven a car in years and years and years because I was a city girl. It's winter. It's dark. We live on this twisty, turny, windy road. And I thought, what have I done? What have I done? I was terrified. But then we settled in, and then springtime came. We also got our first job offer, which is has become sort of a full-time gig, and it's what I'm doing now, hosting this children's podcast for WBUR, Boston's NPR station. But that initial terror, regret, buyer's remorse— Although it wasn't yet buyer's remorse, we were renting. But anyway, that that disappeared with the snow, um, and now we actually we love winters. Now that I understand how to drive a car and uh, you know pay attention to the road.
0: Well, I guess there's probably a lot to learn beyond just driving the car. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, what was unexpected
2: about the move? The entire move was unexpected. Well, um, some things that were unexpected uh, professionally. Again, we had nothing lined up. We had formed an LLC. We were an audio production company, Shear and Shim. I'm Rebecca Shear. He's Eric Shimalonis. We'd had some clients in D.C., and we had nothing lined up here. And we just decided to stay calm. It, it, we, we, we just felt like this move was meant to be something will happen. The cost of living's a little lower, so we can get by without too much of an income for a brief time. And a job fell in our lap. Um years and years ago I lived in Boston for a hot second and interned at WBUR and met some people who years and years later changed my life. They offered Eric and I the chance to do this children's podcast, to do a pilot. And we did, and that became our job. And what was so lovely was unlike Washington DC where we had to do makeshift things with closets and blankets over the head and to get good tape We have a whole basement that we've turned into a full recording studio. In cities, it sometimes feels like there are
1: people
0: everywhere. Um, What was that transition like for you? That that
2: That was a big difference for me. I am accustomed to being able to hear my neighbor sneeze through the wall. So here, I can't even see my neighbors. And truth be told, when we first moved here, I found that a little terrifying. Nights were so dark. We had a baby. I thought, what is lurking out there? I can't see any other lights. I can't hear any other people. And yet, we have found a stronger community here than I have felt anywhere else I have lived. You have to work a little harder for it. You're not going to see them wander by your house on the way to the bodega. People are here for a reason here in the Berkshires. And I think it's the same way in a lot of rural areas. It's a very deliberate move. Either you live there your whole life, and we have families who've been here for generations or you made this this choice that you wanted a little more peace, a little more quiet. You wanted to see trees and actually be able to smell nature on a regular basis. And it brings us all together. Do you have good
0: internet access? Have you always? And how critical is that to doing what you do and being able to do it from
2: West Stockbridge? We could not function without the internet. Um, there are Are many towns in the Berkshires, some of which are are still struggling to get the broadband that they need. West Stockbridge is is okay, but we do run everything off of Wi-Fi. I could not make a cell phone call from a tower from where I'm standing right now. If our Wi-Fi goes down, we're done. Um, We're living in a 21st century world where it's all go, 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 and zoom, 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 and tech, 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 but one tree down in a storm and it can shut down your entire professional life.
0: That metaphor works when you think about professional opportunity too, which is that there's at least the perception that if you're in one of these big cities and you lose your job, um, you will, you'll have more opportunity. You'll have more places that you can bump into the right people to help you to that next opportunity.
2: Do you worry about that at all for yourself? I think if it weren't for the fact that I've already built up such a network through all the places I've lived and all the NPR stations I've worked for, I think I'd be a little more nervous about living here because you don't naturally bump into as many people, but also people who are in your field, in your industry. Um, Here you'll run into more people who are, say, farmers, who wouldn't necessarily ask for my and my husband's help starting a podcast, um, you know, local business owners. Um, that, that's, that's one thing where I feel like my entire life prepared me for this move because I built up this web of people.
0: That was Rebecca Shear. She and her husband record the kids' podcast Circle Round from their home studio in West Stockbridge, Massachusetts. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA.
1: We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to. If you want to hear more of Zach Beret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One.
0: Our final guest today is Lena Rao. Unlike Rebecca, Lena didn't want to leave city life. She lived in San Francisco. She loved it. She had two daughters and a great job as a tech reporter. Then, in early 2016, her husband, Sunil, made a suggestion
3: in January, I would say, Sunil asked if we could go for a walk. And he said, um, I want to move back to Michigan, where I grew up. And uh, I want to move our family back, our newborn <laughs> and all and our other uh, child who was four at the time, five at the time. And uh, I want to run for office, I want to run for Congress. And, uh, and, and so what do you think? And I mean, I just had a baby. I was postpartum. I was on maternity leave from Fortune. Um, I think I started to cry first because, like, I I, the thought of moving to Michigan was depressing, and I just it was not in the plan. And uh, and then I think I told him that he was ruining our family, and um, and I think that shut down that conversation. But
0: Sunil kept bringing it up. It was really important to him. And then Lena got laid off, and it seemed harder and harder to justify staying.
3: So I told him, the only way that I'll, I'll do this is if you let me pick the next move. That was the agreement. I was going to pick where we lived afterwards. I thought, for sure, I'm moving back to San Francisco. And um, if, if it's not San Francisco, it's probably LA. So describe the community itself a little bit. Just sure. give us a visual snapshot. So, um, we live in a, in a, in a, a small suburb called Birmingham and, um, it's about, I would say 30 minutes to, uh, 40 minutes outside of downtown Detroit. Um, it's, uh, it's like white picket fences and green lawns and, um, you know, our house, the houses here are close together. Like I am, I can, you know, look into my neighbor's window and see what's happening. Um, There's sidewalks, um, and that's actually a really nice thing because there's constantly kids um, running, biking, walking up and down. You know, in Birmingham itself, there's so many parks. um, There are so many playgrounds for children. It's just a little slice of Americana. I mean, it feels exactly like what you would imagine a Midwest town would be. So... Listening to you describe it, it sounds like a wonderful place
0: to live. What didn't you know when you were considering the move that you know in
3: hindsight? It's the people. It's the community. I mean, the weather here is not great, right? It's tough. Um, but it's the people. I didn't know what a community was. I didn't have a community in San Francisco. And now I have, you know, I have, a, you know, one of one of my really close friends here you know, over COVID. Um, she's an ER doctor. She uh, was on the front lines at one of the hardest hit hospitals here in Michigan. So she was working nonstop. Um, and uh, she was about to go into work for an overnight shift. And during COVID, one of our daughters fell off her bike and sliced her hand open. And of course, it's so scary. The last thing you want to do is take your kid to a hospital at, at during, you know, was one of the scariest times in our lives. And, um she dropped what she was doing. She, she drove over to um, our house and then she uh, escorted us. And like, you know, I drove in my car and she drove us to um, the the urgent care and she waited outside while we got seen. And it's just one of so many examples of the kind of community that we've been able to tap into here. Did that
0: not exist in San Francisco? Like if your daughter had fallen and sliced her hand in San Francisco, would you have had a very different experience?
3: I don't think I had a community of people that would have done that for me. And besides maybe our babysitter, you know, I mean, I think someone that we would have paid to do do that, at
0: least where I live in Brooklyn. I, it's not that I don't want to show up that way for my friends. And I I hope that many of our friends feel that we do. It's just that it is so much more difficult to do a lot of the things that one does in life. That dropping everything to bring a friend's child to an after-school activity might include uh, an extra commute of an hour on either side for me. Right? Like it, mm-hmm. it. It's just so much more difficult to do a lot of the things that one does in life.
3: I think that's an important point because I do feel like um, my life here is much easier. So how about the trade-offs? Being in the San Francisco, being in New York or LA, I think when you're in those places, opportunity sometimes just comes to you. You know, it just does. And it, and it did, I feel like, in in San Francisco, it was a lot easier to find jobs and it was a lot easier to just have access to, to interesting opportunities career-wise. I think in Michigan, um, you have to kind of make those opportunities for yourself more, especially if you know. For me, I'm a journalist. I try to cover things in national magazines or in brands that aren't necessarily based here. So it means I have to do a lot more, you know, uh, business development outside of Michigan. You move from a
0: a diverse city, a fairly diverse city, to a much less diverse town. In your family of color. What has that experience been like? That
3: I would say has been the toughest part um, of our time here in Michigan. I think that um, you know, because Snell ran for Congress, and that was that was what brought us here. We we did face some racism, and we had never felt that in San Francisco, or I lived in New York before. Um, we had lived in Chicago at some point. Um, we had never felt racism until we moved to Michigan. And, um, you know, like, everything, you know, like, anti Muslim slurs, and we're not, you know, we're not Muslim, but, um, but because of the color of our skin, um, you know, that was a frequent, I would say, um, slur that we would often get. Um, but, you know, we were told to deport ourselves many times, you know, knocking on doors in the sort of aftermath of, of everything happening with George Floyd, I started having more conversations with my older daughter, who's eight, about racism and what that means. And she, it, she didn't know the word racism. But when I explained it to her, she said it was like a light went off. And she's like, oh, and then she rattled off um, three stories of, of kids who made racist comments to her. What have you... Learned about yourself
0: over the course of being there as you've navigated that
3: I have learned to take more pride in who I, in, in, in our culture and who I am and in my skin color and I, and I think that I've been also um, yeah I think in terms of like learning about myself, I think that I have a thin skin I think I was pretty naive about what um, about the kind of hate that we have in our country. Honestly, Lena, I think your answer surprised me a little bit
0: because you have found such happiness in Michigan. Why is
3: the trade-off still worth it? Well, um, one thing I've learned, I would say in the past few weeks, is that racism is everywhere and discrimination is everywhere. But I also think that like, the answer is not to move away or avoid a place because of that. I think the answer is to stick around. And, you know, I told my daughter, when someone says that, you say, that's not right. That's not what you say to people. That's not how you treat people with kindness and love. And and that I think is the learning. To bring us full circle, if you yeah. were to go back to like that,
0: that first walk you took when Sunil pitched you on moving to Michigan, um, what do you think of now? What is what is your 2020 self think of what you are so afraid of?
3: You know, I was really scared of the unknown and um, and scared of change, right? I mean, we all are, right? Like, I mean, we all, they're all parts of us that are scared of of, of change. And um, one of the things that I think has been transformative for me and like pushing myself to do this has been, you can create your community anywhere it just takes effort it takes time you have to curate those relationships and treat them lovingly but I do think it's so important to have community wherever you are because it really does it, it makes your heart feel warm that's the best way to describe it that was Lena Rao her husband did not end
0: up winning his race so just as they agreed he recently put the question to her where should they live Here, she answered, I want to stay in Michigan. Thanks to all three of our guests. You know, if there was a theme running through all of their stories, it was that the strength of the community they built determined how happy they were, wherever they were. We'll be talking more about city escape fantasies at office hours this week. So join us this Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. You can find me and our producer, Sarah Storm, by following me, Jesse Hempel, on LinkedIn. And... Special thanks this week to Jason Sargent, a listener who wrote in with the idea for this episode. Jason listens from New Hampshire, where he's been working remotely for a while. If you've got good episode ideas, and this one was a great one, email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com. And now, if you like the show, and we hope you do, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show was produced by Sarah Storm with help from Madison Schaefer. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Irriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Victoria Taylor and Juliette Verreaux are still city dwellers, for now. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And you also heard music from Poddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor in chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday. Thanks for listening. I particularly love West Stockbridge. The coffee shop in West Stockbridge is number six like, depot. It's like my my heart home. That it, is maybe, it, is, it is my favorite coffee shop in the entire world. Wow. Um, yeah, that's I quite buy a compliment. I buy that coffee here in Brooklyn, even though I've only actually been to West Stockbridge once. But it's just a lovely spot.